every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. I talk to the trees. Stop and hear what I say. Come on around back, Arizona. Welcome to Rosie on the House. We're going to get around inside here and bring down John Eisenhower, ISA certified arborist out of the tree, branch manager at Integrity Save a Tree. He's got his crew with him today, assistant branch manager Stephen Price. And then from Arid Tree Zone, we've got Mr. Kevin Salamandra, who's a a leaf director. I guess that just leaves, uh, does that make me the nut then? There you go. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, that that does make you the nut. <laughs> if you'd like to talk trees, join the conversation. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. Text questions to four one one nine two three. You can email info at Rosie on the house if you need to snap a picture. If you need a little help with a tree identification, and we've got a, a tree of the months kicking us off. Yeah, we do, and I'm I'm so happy to have Kevin Salamandra from Arid Zone Trees joining us today, along with Stephen Price, uh, our, our assistant branch manager at Save a Tree, to talk about um, our tree of the month, which is the Ariz- the Arid Zone Trees uh, pers- uh, Persopis uh, hybrid. It's a an um, a really nice mesquite tree. Kevin, tell us a little bit more about the Arid Zone Trees. Um, hybrid mesquite that you guys cloned many years ago. This one tree that we grow now was a selection that came out of thousands of seedlings that we grew. And what we decided to do, since uh, the mesquite trees were like people, you had tall ones, short ones, fat ones, skinny ones, uh, trees are the same thing. And a lot of architects were looking for trees that had a lot of uniformity that they could use down boulevards, or in uh, commercial projects, those those things there. And through our selection process, we found this one tree that didn't really flower and at during the blooming time. And this time of year, during June, when the seeds are setting, there was actually no seeds uh, that were developed from the tree. So we pulled that tree aside, looked at it. It took us about five years to figure out how to reproduce the tree. We did cuttings and uh, reproduce it that way, and then introduced it to the industry. It's a really nice tree. It's really upright, a little slow-growing, uh, doesn't really spread out down to the ground like the other mesquite trees do. And the bonus is, is that this time of year, you're not raking up hundreds and hundreds of the seed pods that are falling down on the ground. Yeah, the uh, that is a, a – it seems like mesquite trees at any given sea, time of year, they're dropping something. If it's not leaves, it's those little catkins, and, and, and then it's the seed pods, and the cycle starts again the next year. And you're, they, Which is a, the trade-off with every vigorous tree, uh, trees that are putting on leaf surf, you know, leaves uh, a little more you know, aggressively, they're growing faster, the litter – that they produce is that downside. And so if you want a fast-growing tree that achieves its landscape purpose quickly in the landscape, just know that you're going to be raking more leaves. You'll be a bit more cleanup. Be sure you give those trees the room that they need to to be able to spread and grow and and have the ability to, uh, not not near a pool probably or a water feature, because that's going to be a constant cleanup mess. Well, you know, the desert trees, what I really like about them is they really have those small little leaflets. And most of the time, that little leaflet drops down in between the 
the stones or granite you may have in your landscape and doesn't really make too much of a mess. But the stems do drop down, and the stems, you will have to rake those up. They, they aren't really cleaned up very well uh, by your pool cleaner. Um, but the other benefit of the mesquite tree leaflet is that it actually is high in nitrogen and actually helps fortify the soil below it as well. So that's a bonus um, on that end of it there. Um, yeah. But there are a lot of people, they like their landscape ultra clean, and I can understand that. Um, I've been one that can tolerate a little bit of the trash different times of year mm-hmm. um, just because I understand the benefit of what you get from the organic matter. Again, kind of right tree, right place. You know, uh, if you've got the, the more space for these trees that are going to be dropping some litter, um, then, of course, give them that room and let them, let them grow. We, we always say it'd, it'd be nice if all of our trees could be allowed to grow to their, their mature height and spread without a lot of intervention on our part. If you didn't have to do all this heavy pruning, it's terrible to put a tree in place and then have to be constantly trimming it to keep it under control and to keep it the size you want it in that location. Better to have put a smaller tree that would grow up and at at its mature height and spread would be at that ideal size so you could just have a lot lighter maintenance um, uh, down the road. So, Stephen, uh, with regard to that, you know, what what are some of the, you know, the, the trees that that we've come to know over the years that are kind of a little lighter on the maintenance side. Some of those kind of more slow-growing trees that um, aren't going to be demanding so much of your time pruning. Yeah, that's what I was just going to mention, that um, one thing about the mesquite, and this mesquite in particular, like Kevin said, is that at least it's a little slower growing than usual because normally, you know, pros and cons of mesquite is, yeah, you get a fast shade tree. They grow extremely fast, especially if water and good drainage. So what does that mean? A little bit more maintenance, especially in the beginning, sometimes a lot more maintenance to make sure that structural pruning is done, to make sure you're growing it up properly. It has, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to be able to be sustainable over time. You have to make that commitment. So that's the commitment you make to have a fast-growing shade tree if you want to get that. But then now we can, like you said, talk about, well, sometimes customers, they don't want that or they don't want as much litter. And that's when we would steer them more to something like a Southern Live Oak, Virginia. Yeah. Uh, Corcus, Corcus Virginiana, Virginiana. Yeah. and uh, very slow growing, uh, much more manageable, easier to maintain. Another, and that's uh, evergreen. Another uh, deciduous tree that's fantastic here is the pistache. So yeah. again, very slow to moderate growth. Uh, you know, a few prunings over the young period of its life, and uh, and usually they can be very sustainable and much more easy to manage. And, and beautiful Kevin, trees. Kevin, you mentioned the acacia. Uh, Anura is quite popular these days. I've noticed that that tree too, a little slower growing and achieving its landscape purpose. But again, once it gets established, they're just an awesome tree. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's bulletproof, but it's a very, really nice, clean, well, mostly clean tree. When it blooms, the seed pods come down. The experience I had growing it in the nursery, our first uh, years, we used to have them, have them in the field. And one Monday morning, I came driving into the nursery, and from far away, I saw it looked like these dead trees, a long line of them. And what it actually was was the seed pods were drying up on the trees. Yes. Scared the heck out of me. And me then too. I, I realized that, oh, no, the tree's yes. okay. And we cleaned it up. Yeah, You can actually take a rake and knock them all down and rake it all up all at once. And it's just a kind of a one-time maintenance yeah, uh, yeah, routine. Yeah. And yeah, they're a little paper thin. They yeah. they knock they come right off the tree. Really yeah, you're down the road again. Yeah. yeah. 
Kevin, I want you to take a minute to explain your nursery because not only is it the place to go if you're looking for desert plant landscape, but if you're looking to build a house and you're questioning whether or not you should do silly sticks and stucco or masonry, y'all's building is the perfect example of how to build in the desert. Um, that actually building, we put that, well, we actually built it and was designed just for that purpose. It was a marketing piece. Um, we wanted to show people what you could do here in the desert, whether it was an office or a house and the landscaping kind of fit right in there as well. Uh, the landscape architect was John Douglas. He's a local architect, uh, does a lot of commercial and residential work and he's a native and he's very sensitive to the desert and the environment. Um, this design is more like a Frank Lloyd Wright uh, building. It's all block. It's um, concrete filled. And we used to have an airport or an air base. And so the reason why we made it soundproof, so to speak, was because when the jets would fly by, um, we couldn't hear. Um, <laughs> and, and, and by building the building that way, uh, it actually made it really soundproof. And we could actually sit in the office and not really hear the jets come flying by. Now it's a commercial uh, airport and it's much quieter as things go on. But again, the whole landscape end of it, Steve Martuna was the one who did the initial design and we actually followed that by putting all the trees in there. And again, he's very sensitive to the desert, uh, enjoys um, the plant life that's very native or can be introduced to our native environment. And the benefit of this plant material I always felt was this was farmland. And by bringing all these plants in here, now we have all the butterflies, we have all the birds, we have we have um, that run through there, we have coyotes, we have rabbits, just all the wildlife, which I enjoy looking out my window during the day and taking a break and being able to take on uh, the opportunity to look in this beautiful landscape and looking to the north, seeing four peaks, and in between that, our nursery and all, which that's a great environment. And, um, and where are you located? What part of town? We're in Southeast Mesa. Basically across the street is Queen Creek, and um, we're just on the north side. It's um, a little bit east of Ellsworth on Germain Road. Uh, it's down towards Eastmark. Uh, was it housing development that's kind of new in that part of the area? And then uh, we're also east of uh, Williams Gateway Airport is where it is. Um, we're a wholesale uh, nursery, do a lot of work with a lot of contractors, architects, and developers. Uh, we do have some retail nurseries that do uh, get our plant material. One is Desert Horizon Nursery there in Quee Creek and just on the corner of Mesa. And the other one is on the west side of town, which is Elgin Tree Farm. Uh, and they can order trees from our nursery if you'd like. We have a website, too, you can use, and it'll show you uh, more. It's more about information than selling. So it'll tell you a lot about our trees that we grow or desert trees that are available or may be available. And there is a list there that can show you what we currently have in production as well. So. Yeah, your your website is a wealth of information. I've I've used it as a resource over the years. I, I love your articles on the different uh, tree species and varieties. And yeah, it's it's a go to website. For, that's that's for what it's all about. It's all about information. We were there to try to educate everybody. Um, Ed what's Mulrain, the website? Uh, it's uh, www.aridzonetrees.com. Very simple. Aridzonetrees.com. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, Dr. Ed Mulrain and I, uh, we've worked together for uh, decades uh, creating these articles, and it's been a lot of fun putting the website together you know, for everybody. And the landscape showroom, if, if I'll 
individual wanted to do that, can they schedule a time? Is it open to the public to walk if you're looking for a desert tree selection, or do you have to schedule that with a landscaper, contractor, architect you're working with? Because we, we're a wholesale nursery, we work directly with landscape contractors and architects. So if you have a maintenance guy or an architect or a contractor, um, you could contact them and they could take you out to our nursery and um, we can kind of show you around with them and they can answer questions that I can't answer in regards to your logistics in regards to your house or your commercial project. We're talking trees, one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. When the auto attendant answers, just hit number one, bypass the message, it puts you straight in the studio. There was long ones, tall ones, short ones, brown ones, black ones, round ones, big ones, crazy ones. We're going to start with the calls. Glenn's called in on watering, but uh, before we get there, John, you wanted to take a minute just to recognize, you know, during the, whatever you want to call it, you know, trees don't care and y'all are still working. <laughs> well, during the shutdown, you know, it's been interesting, you know, because the, the trees and plants have continued to grow and we've been, uh, you know, fortunately, the, the, the green industry as a whole has been, been considered what is a, an essential service. Uh, you know, treating a disease, a disease trees, removing hazardous trees. So there's aspects of our industry that are actually essential services. And so we've, we've continued to work, of course, you know, just like we are here in the studio today, observing social distancing and, you know, wearing our masks and doing everything we can. But when we're out in the landscape, you know, in, in someone's backyard or on a commercial property, there's not a lot of contact with people and our workers can pretty much work without uh, any, any risk of, 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 um, being in, you know, uh, transmitting disease. But yeah, we just were encouraging everybody, you know, this is, during this shutdown time, I was thinking about it this morning with my wife, just how, you know, getting outdoors is just really a nice break. Um, I know that the temperature is sort of the limiting factor there, but getting out in your yard today and, you know, uh, picking up those pruners, we don't rec. We've always said we don't recommend recreational pruning necessarily, <laughs> you know, going out there just to, to prune for the sake of pruning. But yeah, yeah, you don't, you're not, that's not uh, uh, good for the plants as a rule. But it is really a, a really relaxing, uh, just in, encouraging time to get out there and do some pruning, do some hard work, um, and just to reduce stress levels. I know everybody's kind of feeling boxed in these days. Well, pruning and getting out in your yard, doing a little bit of yard work, you Yard work this weekend might be just what the doctor ordered. And we've really been blessed this last week or, or so in June. We're in June, and the mornings have been amazing. I know. It's been really cool. nice. Nice. I know. I, I hate those mornings when I get out at 4 o'clock and open the front door, and I've just walked into an oven. I go, oh, right. no, I, you know what's coming. But these mornings have been really pleasant, you know. In fact, you know, this is kind of that, that shoulder season where you— you you got your heater on in the morning, and then you got your AC on in the afternoon in your car. Uh, those of us who get up real early and are out the door pretty early uh, know those changes. But yeah, it's uh, been been really a beautiful time. Those even the late afternoons, you know, you can get out there for a couple hours in the uh, in the evenings and and uh, get in a couple hours of yard work, and it's not too not too unbearable. Speaking of which. Regarding hydration, you know, it's always good to try to hydrate before you need it. You know, if your body uh, sends a signal to your brain that you're thirsty, you've already, you know, uh, depleted your your, re your water resource 
Uh, they always say, you know, to prehydrate. So before you go out in the yard, you know, half an hour before you go out, do drink a, a, a good 20 ounces of, of water, and it'll really help you to, you know, you won't be feeling that, that water, that heat stress as quickly. You'll be able to, you know, move into that, that, that couple hours of work without as much difficulty. But yeah, you don't, don't wait until your, your they, they say that the osmoreceptors in your carotid arteries measure the water content in your blood. And when it's depleted, then they send a message to your brain that says, I'm thirsty. But they say if you wait until your 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 water content is is so low that you, it sends a signal that you're thirsty, you waited a bit too long, and then you're kind of chasing your thirst, kind of like chasing pain is difficult to do with uh, pain medications. Chasing thirst is not a good thing either. There's a risk of of heat exhaustion if you uh, aren't aren't getting that water in your body sooner. But we're off the topic of trees. Yes. Well, on the topic of water, Glenn's right. on hold and wants to talk about watering his trees. Let's bring him to the conversation and see how we can help direct him. Good morning, Glenn. Thanks for my call, guys. Hopefully your morning is doing pretty well. Doing great. How can we help you? Uh, so uh, I just moved into a house, and I have about four fruit trees. I have a lime tree, two grapefruit trees, and an orange tree, and they're all on the same uh, watering line. And he... They had it set up to an everyday watering for 20 minutes, and I thought that was completely wrong. So I'm just wondering, what's the best for the summer months uh, for watering the trees, and how many gallons would it take per water? And what's your emitter? Is it on a drip system? Is it on bubblers? What? Uh, right now, they're on those uh, spray emitters. I got the drip, and I've got the different uh, gallons per hour. I got one that's one hour dripper, two hour, and a four hour. Mm-hmm. And right now they're on the ten gallon, zero to ten gallon, or thirteen gallon spray emitters. You know, the answer to that question is it's, it is it depends. It depends on your soil texture, your soil structure, the, the the percolation rate, and how how quickly the soil the water moves through the soil. But you know you you're right in 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 not wanting to water every day. That's probably not a good policy under any circumstances, unless you have flowers or something that's very shallow rooted. But yeah, you want to water less frequently and more deeply, and make sure that the entire root zone gets water every time. And then wait till that soil is pretty much dried out before you water again. You brought in that soil probe last month, and that's a perfect tool to measuring and making sure you're getting 18 inches of depth. Just to give you an idea, Glenn. I've watered my citrus yesterday for 10 hours on trip, but I won't water them again for another nine days. There you go. Talking Trees this Saturday morning with John Eisenhower, Steve Price, Kevin Salamandra. We've got a whole variety of expertise and information if you'd like to talk trees one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight that's one triple eight rosie for you and we're going to go back to the conversation we were having as we went into the news break about watering there's a couple follow-up points y'all wanted to make sure we got to the listening audience yeah we find it's very important as you do water you realize a tree is going to grow you got the sigh on the top part the foliage the branches that do uh, grow out but also you want the roots to grow and spread out as well to help support that root, that tree structure. And if you just continue to water 
where the original root ball is and don't spread the water beyond that point, um, what can happen during the monsoon season, season is, is that we get those high winds, you know, 30 to 60 mile an hour winds, and it can push that tree over very easily. And we'd hate to see that happen once you install a tree and have to replace it again. Yeah, if you have the water uh, that's dripping or being applied just outside the root ball, then that, that saturation pattern will encourage that root development to get out into that native soil. It's important that, that those new trees you've put in uh, develop roots that can can get out of the original plant mix you know, within the root ball itself of the of the planted plant and get out into that native soil as quickly as possible. Yeah, so if you just joined us or, or just popped in, the quite original question was how much should I water my citrus tree, um, you know, this time of year? And normally it was originally set up to water every day. But we said originally this is such a, a loaded and dynamic question. We get it every uh, month pretty much, and so that's why we're following up here more on it. Just think about it, too, that the age of the tree, you know, how mature is the tree? When was it planted? There's so many variables. If it's a brand-new tree, it may need water every day for the first several weeks uh, in the summer. And then as it matures each year, you want to wean that off. You want to start increasing the water over time. So when someone calls and just says, how much, you know, should I water my citrus tree? Again, there's again there's so many variables, the soil profile, how fast is it draining. So really it's kind of we go back to common sense. Uh, like we were saying, you want to uh, make sure you give it a good soak, like John said. Let the soil, whatever size it is, let it dry out. The younger the tree, you don't want it to dry out too much. The more mature tree, it can take more drying out in between waterings. Give it a good soak. The color wanted to know how deep. You know, that's going to be anywhere from 12 inches, where the feeder roots are, uh, down to 36 inches. And another key thing, especially with citrus trees, is whether you set it up for once a week or twice a week or however mature the tree is, occasionally you want to increase the water by about 30%, about once a month at least, to flush that water. It gets used to having water to a certain depth, and then occasionally you want to force it down even deeper into the soil and wash out the salts or any other chemical impurities that are building up in the root zone. And the, the one other point that we should mention is that the, the daily watering sometimes can set up conditions for fungal pathogens to become active because the, the, soil, pro, the soil profile never dries out, and that's something you really want to avoid. We've had a lot of trees that have died just due to overwatering. Yes. The, the, the root, uh, uh, root metabolism requires uh, oxygen as well as water, so you don't want to be filling those soil pores with water constantly and not allowing... Uh, you know, creating an anaerobic, uh, you know, condition in the soil. So be sure that you're letting that soil profile, once you've determined the depth that you need, like Steve said, might be 12 inches for a smaller plant, might be 24 for a, a, a you know, a, a medium-sized tree, and maybe 36 inches deep for your mature, mature trees. Once you've uh, made sure you're getting the water to the bottom of that root zone uh, at whatever depth that is, uh, then let that soil profile dry out be, before you uh, apply water again. And that might be a week, might be 10 days. Uh, with If you've done a really deep soaking, I've even recommended with some trees uh, to put a soaker hose out and leave it on overnight for, you know, 8 or 10 hours. And then you don't might not have to uh, put water down for two months. So you can, um, you know, again, we mentioned last month to 
watch your, your trees and, and shrubs in the late afternoon. That's a telltale sign. When you start to see some leaf curl and some wilting in the late afternoon and you've gone seven days, well, then set your, your timer on your, your sprinkler timer at five days or six days because you'll know that at, at that seven-day mark in that 100-degree temperatures, you're getting some leaf wilt in the afternoon. So do your watering. Watch your plants every day and see. You might, you'd be surprised. Sometimes you go two weeks before you see any sign of leaf wilting. That's a good sign that the tree is doing fine with the water. We have a lot of clay in our soils here in the valley, and sometimes they hold more water than we know. Even though the surface temperature, the surface soil is dry, it just is six inches down. If you would dig down, you'll see that the that clay soil is holding the water beautifully. Do you guys know? Does Amwa still have that watering yes. guideline? Yes, yeah. and that's, and that's the a final thing we always great mention. guideline to follow as well, depending on the season, temperatures, and all stuff. Um, I think people can look up watering by the numbers. Watering by the numbers. Yeah, watering by Google the numbers. That. Yeah. If you have you have want a kind of a step by step process, um, that's a really great guide. It's a free publication offered by the Arizona Municipal Water Users Association, Amwa.org. A-M-W-U-A dot O-R-G. I was looking on our website. There's at least like nine pages that we have a link to that. <laughs> oh, good. good <laughs> on good. different articles. Yeah, it's, it's a popular um, brochure and one that's been helpful for a lot of people. Let's cover pruning real quick before we get to Sam, who's called in and wants to talk trees with us. Oh, good. Yeah, just this is the time of year to be pruning your trees in anticipation of the monsoon winds that are coming in July and, and August. And there's a proper way to do it. Um, I just there's a, a really a great um, series of articles written by Dr. Ed Gilman out of the University of Florida. He pioneered a lot of studies in what kind of pruning cuts give you the most bang for your buck. If you're going to be pruning your trees to get them ready for some high winds, um, um, there are certain types of pruning cuts you can make. And Dr. Ed Gilman, because of all the hurricane damage that's done to trees in, in that southern uh, southeastern United States was the was the right guy to do this s- studies, um, and he determined that rather than thinning out the interior foliage, which we often can do, most of us do that. We just kind of, in theory, we think, okay, we're going to strip out the in- interior foliage so we can let the wind blow through, and that does re- decrease the drag on the tree um, to the extent that the wind does blow through, but. What often happens is that the wind collects on the outer third of the canopy, and those big um, lion tails of heavy foliage out on the ends of the ends of those branches collect the wind, and those can often break and pull the tree over. So Dr. Ed Gilman's conclusion was that to make some reduction cuts in the outer third of the canopy to reduce the overall length and and the and the weight on those those overextended branches is actually a, a more effective way of reducing the drag on the tree. And, and then you don't have the problems associated with stripping out the interior the, of the tree, which is like sunburn and, and uh, insect damage and, uh, that, that can follow. So uh, a little bit of thinning on the inside is certainly appropriate, but don't neglect the outer third of the canopy. That's sort of the bottom line. And you know, find a good quality tree service who knows how to do good reduction pruning and it will serve you well. We see so many trees that are lion-tailed year after year after year. All the, all the, the, the trimmers are doing is stripping out the interior foliage. And anybody, anyone can do that. You don't need a trained person just to go in and strip out the foliage. But what happens is over time, the tree continues to get longer and taller and leggier, and the branches still have that big accumulation of heavy foliage out on the ends. 
And good pruning requires skill to be able to, and the time to go out to that outer third of the canopy where it's more difficult to climb and make those reduction cuts out there. Yeah, we recommend to prune 80% of your cuts are done on the outer 20 to 30% of the branchings of the branches of the tree and keep the interior branches there to help support the tree as we get these high winds or just to run the structure of the tree. Which I think it's great. Being. It's great. And, yeah. uh, and also, as you're making those reduction cuts in the outer third, if you have an, a supporting cast of secondary growth on the interior that you haven't been trimming out, that can grow out and become the new canopy. So if you've stripped out the entire inside of the tree, there's not a supporting cast of secondary growth to, to replace uh, the outer growth that you're, you're, you're reducing. So leaving that, that nice interior foliage there is critical for so many reasons. I'll tell you, for the desert trees, what drives me nuts is that we grow these really beautiful, nice multi-trunk trees with that interior branching structure because it's really artistic. And then we see these trees out on job sites, and all of a sudden these trees have changed because they're removing all those branches, and I'm just pulling my hair out going, oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. I'd like to get out of my car every time and stop the guy from pruning. So <laughs> why are you doing that? But it's kind of hard to do, you know. Yeah, that's a thing. As as arborists, one of the biggest things we're constantly teaching and preaching um, is that uh, all sprouts aren't all bad. You know, people want that aesthetic. They want to have that architectural, see all the branching. Um, but we really, really try to educate people that those sprouts are food factories. Every leaf that we get on the tree is a food factory. Those sprouts come out because the tree is saying, hey, I need nutrients, I need food, and not just for the branching, but for the roots. Um, so we train, teach and train our, our crews um, to leave some sprouts in as long as the client is okay with it. We educate them. Um, and one more thing I want to point out, because we get asked a lot, sprouts are up in the in the upper area of the tree, and uh, suckers, what a lot of people don't know the difference, suckers are in the basal area of the tree. And, of mm. course, those can come off and um, no problem. But usually we try to say pick a height in the tree where you can leave, you're comfortable leaving some sprouts, a little thinning, balanced pruning, and weight reduction is key, and, and leave some sprouts like we just all said went through to uh, maintain a healthy tree, keep it more sustainable long term. That's great. Good stuff. With regard to protecting trees, anything else you can do to kind of protect your trees during the summer heat? You know, we've had a, a lot of, uh, you know, of, of plants that are burning. We put a, one of our, our, our clients this last month put in several new trees. And there's always a risk, you know, when you put, you know, trees in um, this time of year. And he's built some nice little shade structures over the top, got some PVC pipe and some other little, he got had some uh, um, uh, metal that he used for a little carport. And he kind of built that structure, then he, dra- he drapes some shade cloth over the top of it. And that's going to uh, give those tr- the trees a little bit of a break uh, from, the, uh, uh, from the heat. You know, we've got a, um, you know, we don't recommend using tree paint as a, as a, a replacement for shade cloth. Shade cloth is really your best remedy for, you know, protecting those sensitive trees. Some of our smooth bark trees are very, very sensitive. Citrus has about a uh, bark is only a sixteenth of an inch thick. You can scrape it right down to the cambium with your thumbnail. Um, and so it's very vulnerable to sunburn. And the uh, some people feel like they can just raise the, 
canopy on their their trees and and uh, and have no and have no consequences and uh, and they're taking the uh, um, uh, they'll they'll say well I can just put some tree paint on it they'll just go get some uh, flat you know uh, latex paint and and paint it on and hopefully that's going to protect them but it won't uh, all all that paint does is it it has some reflective qualities so but the research has shown that it lowers the surface temperature of the bark just a degree or two at best. So you don't think that you can just limb up the, the bottom branches on your citrus trees and then paint the bark and they'll uh, paint the trunk and that it'll, it'll be protected. It's not like a sunblock. Um, it actually does very little to protect them. We have Sam on the line looking for a recommendation on a tree less messy than what he has. Welcome to the broadcast, Sam. What uh, what kind of tree are you dealing with? I am dealing with a Benjamin ficus tree that's been there about 20 years, and it's a uh, constant debate between my wife and I. The tree is gorgeous. It has a great trunk structure. It's beautiful. provides excellent shade. But it drops a lot of fruit and leaves and to the point where we got rid of our swimming pool because it was so messy and we couldn't keep up with the swimming pool. So we decided, hey, do we want the pool or the tree? And my wife said, I want the tree. We got rid of the swimming pool and now the problem continues because our uh, concrete underneath now is staining and it just, it's awful. And the birds in there uh, are leave massive messes and so i think i finally have her to the point where she says yeah let's replace the tree but what are we going to replace it with that's less messy um and so that's why i'm calling to get some recommendations on trees that would be less messy than our benjamin ficus and maybe not stain our concrete below it well i'm going to let my two colleagues kevin and Stephen, weigh in on that in terms of some suggestions of less messy trees but i will say that we we talk about trees having a reason and a season, and when that reason and season expire, it is maybe time to think about uh, removing and replacing the tree. Um, when trees, you know, uh, have begun to cause, you know, more headache than they're worth, um, yeah, sometimes it is time to turn the corner and start with a new tree that you can enjoy as it grows up and, and achieves its landscape purpose. And um, what would you what got any thoughts you guys on on what on what trees you'd recommend? Well, the, the thing about the ficus tree is that as you said, it's dropping trash almost all year long. So you're constantly dealing with if you've got a walkway or a patio area or a pool, um, you're constantly dealing with something that you got to be you know cleaning up, raking up, and all that stuff. The th- I get many calls from homeowners that are looking for a very clean tree. They don't want anything to drop, and unfortunately. Um, there's no such tree that's out there. So what you have to really figure out is what's your tolerance. And the other part is, is when do you want to trash? So um, there are some evergreen trees that will defoliate in the summertime, uh, but you have other trees that are deciduous, and then they'll drop all the leaves in the wintertime. Uh, There's others that will fruit and flower, and then you'll get that mess on top of that. So um, it's really a matter of trying to figure out the litter that you're going to have to deal with, you know, one time of the year um, and go forward from there. 
Yeah, and the other problem is fast-growing trees that are going to do something for you quickly um, are messier, just period. So, you know, you're just, they grow real fast. They're harder to maintain. Um, you know, how, what size do you want? Again, it's a real dynamic question. You probably should have uh, an arborist or uh, a landscape architect maybe come out and look at the property with you as well to see what kind of space you have. Uh, one tree that a lot of people have gone with, but it's slow growing and it takes a lot of work in the beginning, but they're really cool is a mastic tree. Uh, and I think it's in that same family, right? It's a pistache. It's a pistache. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or no, it's in the pistache, yeah. Antiscus. So the yeah. ma- 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 mastic tree, you might want to look at that. But again, uh, slow growing. It's not gonna, that giant tree you have right there is a beautiful specimen. One thing I want to point out is we are working with several clients because of the, they're so beautiful and they're messy. We're experimenting with some um, fruit reduction techniques um, with uh, some specialty materials uh, that we can put on the trees, kind of like growth regulators and things like that, that uh, we are experimenting with. And we haven't dialed it in for the ficus yet because they fruit all year. Yeah, I thought of, we had mentioned earlier today, the uh, Cordia boissieri, which is, uh, I don't know if that would be qualify as a less messy tree or not, but um, whenever you have a flowering tree, of course, they've got the beauty of the flowers, but then that's that's one additional thing that's going to be dropping. You know, the more more glorious the, the floral display, the usually the more mess they are to clean up. But sometimes if that bloom cycle is relatively short for a month or two, you're willing to clean up those blooms for that month and then enjoy the uh, other beauty that the tree provides in the non-bloom uh, season. So uh, what about it? Well, like I enjoy the the Palo Verde trees. I mean, they bloom and it's it's a gorgeous flower in the tree, and then it drops down the ground, and then it looks like you got yellow snow in the ground. Once you're it's done flowering, you can clean it up, and you're down the road. But you know what? We talked about a tree at the very beginning of this uh, period, and all that stuff was the seedless mesquite. Mm-hmm. To me, it's a great tree. You don't have the seed pods, you don't have the flower mess that's there, but you do have leaf drop in the wintertime. Um, it's small little leaflets and a little bit of stem, and I think it'd be a perfect tree for your landscape. If you're looking for an arborist, some tree advice, and you weren't able to get in this hour, I tree. Let's see, what is it now? Saveatree.com. Saveatree.com. You can reach John Eisenhower and Steve Price. And then if you want to really see the variety and design of what you can in a, in a desert, it's arid tree zones in Mesa.